Hello and welcome to another episode of GDPR Now, a podcast brought to you by Data Protection for Business. Your host today is me, Karen Heaton, recording from my office in southwest London. Our show is dedicated to all things related to privacy, security, and lots of technology in between. In this episode, we're going to talk about digital rights management, what businesses, content creators, and individuals need to know about protecting their privacy rights online. So today I'm delighted to introduce Adam Romanek, CEO of Alksmode, a digital rights management and revenue reporting software company who's joining us from Toronto in Canada. So Adam, welcome to the show today. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thanks for coming. So what are we going to talk about? Well, um, Adam is going to enlighten us today on digital rights management and, and a little bit about Adam. Adam has been working in and around the internet since even before we had internet browsers. And he sold his first internet company in 2000. And Adam has been creating industry lauded programs and working with companies in web content, big data, as well as next and new generation technology. So for the last decade, Adam has been also collaborating globally with corporations, governments and NGOs, helping them to maximize the business potential of various digital media platforms. So Adam, with that very extensive experience, can you tell us a little bit about Oxmode, why you're working there, why you started it and and what it does, please? Sure. So Oxmode is a DRM, digital rights management company that helps people protect their content from It's called misuse or theft. Technically, we say misuse online, as well as we provide revenue reporting and insights for our customers. A bit how I found the company. Uh, It's a strange story, like everything online. Um, As you said, I've, I've worked for companies at the penthouse and companies in the basement. I was agnostic. I did have some celebrity sports, all sorts of customers that I did stuff online for them, help them with their presence. And one of the people I was working with had an idea if they drank a Starbucks or something, the brand would pay them a lot of money if they were filmed and put on this thing called YouTube. This is 11 years ago. And he was a celebrity, you know, with a show on, you know, on the U.S. Comedy Central and in Canada. So he had a large following. He was in the public eye. And I was like, that's a pretty good idea. We got a bit of funding to come up with branded content videos where we'd approach larger, you know, Starbucks type companies and get them some free PR. Um, the idea didn't work, but while I was doing the idea, you know, Hollywood and company said, hey, this TV show is on this thing called YouTube. Could you get it off? I was like, let me take a look. And that's how I came up with Oxmode in the end. We pivoted a couple times, meaning at the beginning, we started working with a lot of YouTubers and personalities and gamers. And then... We took a huge leap of faith thinking that there would be a lot more Hollywood and companies that would have the same problem five years down the road. So in 2014, we kind of shifted over to just working with corporations, very large corporations with archival libraries of content from 100 years ago to the 80s to 90s to the 2000s. And it worked in our favor. This is like pre-Netflix. And I mean, Netflix was around, but not the streaming service, just the DVDs. Um, this is before Disney Plus and Roku and all this stuff. And the pandemic is obviously people are staying at home and watching a lot of content. So our job is to help these companies manage their rights on YouTube from people recording it 
and putting it online without their authorization from their TV. And, and also artists, musicians, people go to concerts or sports, sporting events and record it and put it on YouTube. And we're here to take that down and protect their privacy if they don't even want to show it or if they want to control and have it through one of their channels, not through every fan like me. I think it's great that you started off doing one thing and actually you found a much better idea that was related but not exactly the same. Isn't that how so many great successful companies start? Always looking out for the next thing. It was interesting. It's, you know, my background is quite extensive when it comes to, you know, you mentioned I started a first company just as Netscape was launched or right before it is when I got into the internet. So that's way back, and that's kind of dating myself. I work with staff members. They wouldn't even know what Netflix uh, – they would have no idea what that browser is um, or the history of browsers. They just know what they use. But, yeah, it, it, it's kind of interesting where you end up. And I think the future, we're going to be in an insights, content predictability world. Um, but today, you know, my main focus is to help protect people's privacy online, be it a corporation, or sometimes we get hired to by uh, – an individual to block their content if somebody put it on YouTube. But it, we mainly focus on large catalogs of content. Right. Okay. So, but my first question is, you know, okay, I think you've been, you've clearly defined for us what digital rights management is. So, you know, why are we doing it? Well, it's for big organizations with large catalogs and libraries, it's clear. But can you maybe just give us a little bit of insight on why, smaller individuals in their own rights or uh, small upcoming artists um, would a would they even know about this which I'm hoping they're going to be listening to this podcast and learn more by the end of it but how does it apply to them how can they make it useful for them yet yeah, I think that's really important some somebody creates their first ever film and they produce a TV show, like a pilot or, or maybe a screenplay or a musician record something, they need the tools to protect it. I think the disconnect is people don't understand they actually exist. Um, there are a lot of hoops to go through to, to get it done. And we often say to our customers, you can go do that or just let us do it. That's part of our service. Um, a lot of younger generation, they're quite savvy and they get the lexicon of the platform. They understand the verbiage and the words they're using. If you're new to the industry and you can, you've just recorded an album and you're a musician, how do you protect that from not being stolen across, you know, Facebook, YouTube, you know, these larger platforms? You can't stop misuse. It's going to happen. The problem is how do you block it so you can control the distribution on these platforms? Um, there are tools out there, these platforms. Uh, it's just about reading. I often say to people who call us and maybe we're not the right fit. You figured out how to use that device in your hand. Nobody taught you how to use a smart device. It became intuitive. So we often say, we're here to help you. We will point you in the right direction. It's no sweat off my back. Go and try it yourself. Um, and we want you to be protected. I mean, you spent you know sweat, blood, and tears creating that music, and all of a sudden somebody puts it out there and it's gone. Or if you're even as big as Disney, and then all of a sudden somebody steals it or it leaks, how do you stop that? Um, and, you know, you can block it to protect that. But we often tell people, please don't think if you put it out there, nobody's going to see it. Once you hit publish, it's gone. There's no going backwards. People think, 
can somebody put me on YouTube without my permission? Well, the answer is yes. Only if you're recording in the public. But if it's a ticketed event, like a concert, you can't just do that or a sporting event. or I'm not sure people realize that necessarily. So there's two points here. One is, so the individual artist who's had these wonderful ideas and spent hours composing and recording and editing, putting their stuff up there. A, being able to, like you said, on a platform by platform basis, understand how to do the blocking, which I suspect, as you suggested there, was could be quite a technical task. It's definitely not, not as easy as these platforms make it out to be. If you've ever had a problem with Gmail and try to reset your password without having two-step, it's not as easy as you think. But there are ways to do it. And that, you know, we're here to hold your hand through that. But the problems that we solve are not for, you know, the one person with the one album. It's more, you know, maybe it's they've created, you know, five albums and 12 tracks an album. All of a sudden they have 50 problems or 50 plus problems. That That is very hard for the individual to, to sort out. Um, with a platform like YouTube, I mean, they have 700 hours a minute being uploaded as of last year. This isn't humans interacting with humans. These are machines and AI that help do this. You just have to understand the policies to protect your privacy um, and speak in that language. Else you're going to find there are a lot of roadblocks in front of you to get it solved. So the second thing that occurred to me, the second point there was individuals who are at ticketed events, as that was your example, or or non-public events, do they even know they're not supposed to upload videos and stuff? Or, and pictures. I don't even think lots of people know that. No. I was around before smartphones where like you couldn't come in with a big giant camera and take pictures of people on the baseball field or, or whatever game you're watching. And now everybody's got a camera in their hand. It, it's impossible to police. I think on the back of your ticket, if you read the fine print, which nobody does, nobody reads the terms of services when you go on YouTube or Facebook. And nobody does. Like, you know, there's, there's quite funny videos online about legal students studying in, in, in whatever university they go to or college and it takes them like weeks to go through it it's hilarious to watch because they're learning about this and it just took them week. nobody will ever read it um, and the point is we don't know um, our trust in these companies to help protect our content and our privacy there's a thing called the dmca the digital millennium copyright act that was put out to help protect us um, that was built in the 90s obviously pre-Napster, for the audience members that understand what Napster was all about. But, you know, digital rights management is evolved since the 90s, to say the least. Um, we're carrying around a device in our pocket that didn't exist when this was built. You know, it's, it's here to protect us. I just don't think it's gone to where it needs to go. Um, it needs some updating. But people don't understand that, that they can't record and put online. No, they don't. And and actually, you know, as I said earlier, actually, I, I hadn't heard of D, uh, the DMCA Worldwide Act either. So, you know, that shows how little I know about it. So given the problem, you know, we've outlined, my immediate thought is, OK, you know, back to the example of the artist who has made five albums and now he's got 50 problems. Once he's got those 50 problems and potentially his album is out in five, 50 different places, how on earth can Oxmode then go find those and find a way of protecting from further misuse 
those items? Or do you have to kind of do it right at the beginning? How do you do it? That's a great question, actually. Yeah, you don't have to do it at the beginning. Um, you can go to YouTube if you're that specific artist and find your stuff published by XYZ or up there for years. And then we can come in after the fact. And it's almost like I use the analogy of a fingerprint. We take a fingerprint of your you know, track one from album one, and we look for matching fingerprints that exist on the platform. When we find those matching fingerprints, we would enact a policy that we previously discussed, which would say, let's block that worldwide. We can publish on our channel, but we don't want other people publishing it. So the policy would be block worldwide. And we look for matching fingerprints of all 50 plus tracks, and then we would block it worldwide for you where you can control your distribution on your YouTube channel or on your you know, Facebook page. And that is the trick of the trade. You know. So the signature, you, so effectively Oxmode is creating the signature that is then searchable across all the other platforms. Yeah, I mean, I mean there are two different, you know, I can get very technical here, but it bore everybody, but there are two different ways to do it. But yes, we would take, you know, we call it a reference file. We take the file itself, look for matching fingerprints, and there are many, we can go, like say you gave up the rights in the United Kingdom, we can go worldwide excluding one region, the United Kingdom. So there are different policies we can enact for different you know, reasons, especially in the film and television industry where they sell rights by region. And in the audio, it's the same thing in the audio, but in the music industry, a lot of these artists sell off their composition and publishing rights. You know, they might have live performances, which they own, but they can't actually claim all that third party. Because remember, people do cover music. You know, how many, you know, the Beatles is covered by everybody. Bob Dylan is covered by everybody. So that would be claimed under a different policy, probably by somebody who holds the composition or publishing rights of that individual track. But musicians have it. It's very technical for the music industry because of the three types of ownerships that you might have. In the film and television industry, it's usually one distributor or producer owns it all. And individuals, when I record something of my kids, I own that. And I don't want somebody misusing that for nefarious reasons. So we do the same things for, you know, you can have the same tools applied to the individual. So on that then, the policies that you mentioned, so you've got geographic level restrictions, and then I don't know what other types of restrictions can you have, platform types of platforms or what other flavors of policies can um sure i mean it's funny you should say like um, a lot of people i don't know if you've been on youtube different platforms have different policies towards misuse facebook and youtube i mean it would be great if it was an iso and it was the same but obviously these they don't talk about that stuff together but what we do notice with these platforms is they are a bit different but we try and use the vernacular of the platform when speaking to our customers because it could get quite confusing. So, but what we have noticed is, is it's up to the rights of the user. So we know the right questions to get the right answers. We kind of seed it beforehand because the more educated people we work with, the easier our job is. And obviously this has got a lot more press in the last couple of years, you know, especially in the States with the you know, misuse of content that we saw, people's, whatever you want to call that. But a lot of these companies have got really smart to protect their content so that doesn't ever happen again. You know, by more education, it's just easier. These platforms have to start speaking to each other. 
on having a universal way to protect people's privacy because it gets out of hand. I think, you know, I know you're in the EU. I think the EU is way ahead of other countries, um, personally, as well as in the, you know, I follow it because of the company. But we do understand that these policies need to be updated. We can protect by region. We can protect by length by saying we'll let it go for 10 seconds. And after that, we're going to take it down by watch time, by region. You know, people do all sorts of things, try and flip it and, you know, invert the film or whatever it is. But all of that stuff could be protected because say an artist, you know, was coming to do a concert in London. Maybe they want to let it go online before the concert because that would be a good strategy to build out and it's free and then close it after. So there are a lot of strategies that are coming into play from the artist management companies to trailers online. I didn't, I don't know if you know, but you can pretty much watch trailers anywhere you want. It's in the best, you know, it's a great strategy for these corporations to let it go and let everybody watch trailers and not block it. It's good PR. It's a good strategy. It's in the best interest of the filmmaker. Yeah, correct. Well, I, I noticed on um, on Netflix now, you know, they're almost without pressing play, they start playing a trailer if you hover over any of the uh, the various shows. It's getting more and more sophisticated by the day. So a very good example you gave us a couple of minutes ago where it really comes back to individuals and family life uh, from a privacy perspective is, videos of your children or your children videoing things where, you know, where you then want to be able to protect those. Where would parents start if they wanted to try and, I mean, because I, I know, I mean, I don't do it, but I know loads of people upload videos onto Facebook. I, don't, I actually don't use uh, Facebook anymore, really. Is it even possible to block onward sharing and stuff on Facebook? How, how would, would parents come to you or how, how would any of that work? Where would you start? It's, not as easy as these platforms make it make it out to be as simple as just fill out an email, give us a file, and we'll block it for you. I like you find it. Uh, I don't post of my kids. I'm I'm against that. As long as I can control it, I'll say no. But these platforms do have the tools where you can upload files of your children, movies that somehow got on the platform and have them removed. Problem is, it's not as simple as it's made out to be. You know, you know, if I was sitting in front of an audience, well, I am technically going to be in front of an audience, but I would tell everybody, don't ever post anything that you don't want other people to see. Even if you get it taken down, the possibility of somebody downloading it from the platform, even if there are no buttons to say downloading, there are a lot of extensions that people who want to do nefarious type things will have that will download that and put it on other platforms. Those other platforms are not even the size of a tip of a pen as big as Facebook or YouTube. They don't even exist. But the problem is it does exist. So it's always going to be there in some archive on some video platform. If somebody wanted to find it, you know, and they're focused enough, they will find it. It's unfortunate that I have to say that, but that's how I personally feel. You can't stop it. What you can do is manage the big ones because they put the tools in place too. Some governments will block those nefarious sites, which is great. But, you know, that's by region. Again, back to certain governments or areas where it can be controlled. But there are parts of this world that obviously you and I both know that 
due to privacy and the internet, you're not going to control it. It's impossible. Well, the answer that I had in my head, but maybe other people need to realize that even if you use your uh, GDPR and data protection rights and ask for stuff to be deleted, it may already be too late. Um, and B, they might even not be able to find it. So, I happen to agree. I mean, the GDPR and the DMCA, these acts are great to protect us, but I'm on, yeah, it's the 80-20 rule. 80% of the time, it's too late. You might be lucky if you catch it fast enough and you you know, delete it before somebody's downloaded it and put it on another, you know, on a Twitter feed or somewhere else. But good luck. Uh, you have to be fast. And even, um, you know, somebody who has a lot of resources and hires a lot of companies, they still can't get it all. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, and also um, we discussed video and audio privacy controls. If you could just enlighten us a bit around that, that we haven't already covered, just so people can understand what those are, what they can do with them? Yeah, so so when it comes to protecting video and audio, there are a lot of ways to do it. Uh, you can upload stuff on YouTube on private, not even for public consumption, and actually block anybody else that has previously uploaded. And that worked really well for established musicians or established content distribution or studios or media companies that have archival libraries that all of a sudden they go on YouTube or a platform like YouTube and find out that somebody has uploaded the entire TV show Friends or Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm. And they can go up there and just block it all because they have the rights to do it. They're you know, a Hollywood media company or studio distribution company. And same with musicians. They have the full out capability if they never want to use these platforms to block all of it to protect their intellectual property rights, which is, you know, I think it's really important. Um, for anybody that creates content for that to be available to them. But they can also use these platforms in going public and giving it away for free. There are a lot of people who do that strategy who believe in the open concept of anybody can see it. It's content for the world. But these companies are in business to make money and without money, they can't create more content. And without creating more content, their business is over. So I believe you know these AVOD platforms like YouTube that makes money off advertising, that if they're gonna show it, I don't think anybody else should. Um, and we're at that stage. Remember, you know, YouTube iterates a lot and the platform is different today than it was truthfully six months ago or a year ago. That's how fast it's moving. But I do believe the future of these companies will get smarter and smarter to control their distribution and they can sidestep traditional broadcasters or theatrical releases in movies. We're pretty much seeing Pixar release everything online, not even in theaters anymore. Uh, Disney Plus has done quite well. Um, and when it comes to artists, like music artists, we see them releasing on their own website now. Um, it's incredible what Radiohead has done in the past or newer musicians are doing with creating their own distribution channels that kind of switches the game a bit because you're not buying a CD or downloading a you know full album. You're selling one song. I think the future is looking bright for musicians and people who create content. Um, the individual privacy will be protected more and more because I think that's at the forefront of every government. And unfortunately, the governments are playing a big role in protecting my physical person online. And I think it has a long way to go. I, you know, I don't think we should be tracking. I, I mean, I know the EU is great at this. They don't track gender or age for, you know, a lot of stuff for getting insurance for a car. Some of these rules online need to change. 
you know, and people think it should have happened yesterday, but this stuff takes time. And as I get older, I realize it does take time. (laughs) It definitely takes time. Absolutely. And from individuals' rights, now we're talking about them. You noted, or I noticed from your website as well, we do apparently have individual rights on YouTube. What are they like? Are they any any good? Or not having read the terms of service or or my rights on YouTube, of course. So uh... the first thing to know, it is illegal to post other people's stuff on your social media site or YouTube. It is 100% illegal. Um, Without permission. Yeah, without permission. Keep in mind that every single platform has different privacy policies. They're not universal. The person who posted it might think they did nothing wrong, but... technically speaking, I can take legal action against that someone. Um, Does that happen with unauthorized posts? Very, very rarely. You see it in the, you know, in the Hollywood media variety magazines where they sue other publications that post pictures of said actor or actress. But you're not allowed to do that technically. There are tools to remove it on the platform itself. But say it's printed, it's, it's done. And, and that's the problem. There's a two-party consent law in California that a lot of the things on YouTube that are here today, there was a thing called um, pranks on YouTube for a long time where people would do pranks on unknowing individuals in the public. And that is completely stopped um, because they needed consent. And YouTube took it upon themselves to self-police that. It, it went too far. And a lot of that self-policing comes after something bad has happened. Yeah, precisely. And then those conversations start and then it just escalates and then the government helps to to do it or the platform itself with self-police. But there are tools to to protect your privacy. Do I think the tools are for as simplistic as they need to be? Definitely not, because obviously the person who's, you know, can on the side who's saying take that down might do it for another reason. It might be the not not the individual who's you know in that post or in that you know video or, or picture. So there needs to be a, a balance, and this isn't something that can be you know hashed out in a in a conversation. And as I've mentioned previously, I, I've realized as I get older, this stuff takes a lot longer to do because it's global. These platforms are massive. People, YouTube, Facebook, these, they're so big. Um, we're not talking about millions. We're talking billions of people use this stuff a month. So what you enact as a policy has to be thought out worldwide because what's legal or not legal in one part of the world might be different in another part of the world. And you have to realize that. Um, there's also morality. Um, I know morality and business sometimes are not aligned. Um, um, I hold that pretty high in my standard, but... Um, you know, public companies have to deal with shareholders and a lot of owners, uh, a lot of different things have to be done. And that affects individual personal privacy, in my opinion. Sometimes these decisions are made from that aspect. Oh, it's uh, fascinating stuff. And as you say, I mean, the laws are always lagging behind the technology. And, we, you know, we are talking about 20 years. I mean, you know, the Data Protection Act that came into force in 2018, I mean, it was a bigger the biggest update for 20 years, right? I mean, so as you say, six months, uh, YouTube changes in six months. I mean, how long will it take the laws to change it? Exactly. And that's why self-regulation, I think these platforms are well aware it takes them to update it because 
the DMCA is not going to just overnight update. It took, I, mean, I have no idea, but it probably took at least five or six years to build something that global. So YouTube is so big now and it affects so much. And now there's more platforms. Like Disney Plus launched a couple of years, years ago. Every month there's a new platform launching to get in the business. And, uh, you know, in five years, half of them will be here, half of them won't. But they all have their idea of what, you know, privacy should be on these platforms and what information we can collect and store and what information we can collect and store for how long of a period of time. Because that's a new thing in the in the EU, you can't hold that data for more than 90 days now. It's You can't store data. Analytics of certain platforms, they scrub. Like, you know, you have 90 days and then it moves on. I think that was to help the individual, which is good. But some of these larger platforms, you know, don't have the same rules. They're not advertising platforms. They're not AVOD. They're SVOD. It's subscription-based. So they're watching everything you do and everything you watch. Well, and I have to say, over the last two years, I mean, I've watched more TV, I think, than I have in my whole life. So they'll know more about me and my preferences by watching what I've been watching. So I know. I'm, I'm, I love my computer and my keyboard. I, I probably am on it too much. But um, when I speak to people, they know what they're watching three shows away. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm watching tonight. If I watch that, it's probably a documentary, too. No, I'm, I'm afraid I've, I've discovered the benefits of binge watching wonderful series so uh, right but what a fascinating topic and um, I mean I personally have learned a lot from from our discussion today so thank you very much Adam for sharing your insights you know with us I mean we're, we're getting to near the end of the podcast unfortunately but is there something a message that you would like to leave listeners with before we close off for the day sure um, and by the way, thank you as well. So I could say this, don't upload anything you don't want people to see when it comes to, you know, photos, audio or video or on any platform, as much as you think it's secure. Unfortunately, if nobody's ever heard about it, it's the most secure thing in the world. I don't think it's going to be here in a couple of years. And if it is the biggest platform in the world, everybody is scrubbing it. And you really have to be careful what you post and share. It's, I would say, you know, as parents or individuals or young and old, live by the rules that if you post it, it's gone forever and anybody can see it. And that's probably a wise, you know, street smart way of looking at these platforms. It's not like we're going to walk up to somebody on the street and give them a picture. You know, that's one person. When you post online, it's for billions and billions of people. It's too often forgotten. <laughs> a very sage note to end on. So thank you. So again, Adam, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been fascinating having you on the show and, and learning about digital rights management and some of the things that you can and can't do. So thanks for your time. Thank you. But unfortunately, that brings us to the end of this episode of GDPR Now. Um, if our listeners have any questions, please email me or email Adam. Um, all his details will be on the show notes. And um, yeah, if there are any other topics that you would like to be um, addressed or appear in the podcast, please do let me know. Um, my email address is info at dpo4business.co.uk. So to our listeners, thank you for listening once again. Take care and stay safe. Goodbye for now.